Right, Matthew chapter number 2 in your Bibles, Matthew chapter number 2. For those of you who don't know me, it's your first time here, my name is Richard Lejeune. I'm the pastor here. Lejeune can be hard to say, so you can just say, hey, you. That works. That's, all, that's fine. Uh, but um, the Christmas story can be found in two parts, two places in, within the Gospels. Uh, Matthew chapter number 2 and Luke 1 and 2 tell us about the birth of uh, the, the king, the birth of the Messiah. And our deacons, uh, just a moment ago, read for you the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at the other account given by way of sermon this evening. And so if you have Matthew chapter 2 and you're capable, you're able, if you wouldn't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to look at the first six verses uh, this evening. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen there for you. And so you can follow along up there. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and here he's quoting from the book of Micah, or they're quoting from the book of Micah, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so the account here is that three magi, or rather a group of magi, came and traveled to find uh, the, 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 the Christ child, God born on earth. And they came into Jerusalem expecting that everyone would be celebrating and rejoicing, but nobody even knew about it. And uh, here Herod inquires of these chief priests, these scribes, these religious leaders of Israel as to where the Christ child should be born, and they tell him that he should be born in Bethlehem. Throughout this uh, passage this evening and throughout the Gospels, we see different responses that folks had to the birth of Christ. And the truth be told, these same responses are still alive and well in the earth today. So the title of the message this evening is this, What Will You Do With King Jesus? What will you do with King Jesus? That is a question everyone has to face up to at some point in their life. Let's pray this evening. Lord, will you help us as we look at this important topic, as we consider your birth and your life and what it all meant and why it was important and how it is relevant to each and every one of us. And Lord, as we're brought to a point of decision tonight, may we choose to give our life to you. May we choose to follow you. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you were not just born, but that you lived, and, and you lived a full life, and that not only did you live, but you died on the cross for our sins, and Lord, not only that you died, but that you rose from the dead, and not only that you rose from the dead, but here all these years later, you're still alive and will be forevermore. Lord, you are victorious, and Lord, through your life, you've given us a greater gift than just being born amongst us. You offer us the gift of eternal life. So, Lord, help us to understand this truth tonight. And then, Lord, for those here who have already chosen to accept that gift, 
May we commit to give our life wholeheartedly to you. And may we pursue you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, just to put everybody's mind at ease, you get into a a church building you've never been in before, and you wonder, how long are they going to keep me in here? And so um, uh, every year we work hard to keep the service to right at an hour, and I believe we've been able to do that every year, uh, right at an hour. So by 7 o'clock we should be having the closing prayer and, and being dismissed. But let me start off by saying how special it is to get to celebrate the birth of our Savior here in His church. This is the Lord's church. This is not my church. It's the Lord's church. This is not your church. It is His church. And to get to gather together with you, the body of Christ, and those of you here that have joined in from the community, we're so blessed to have you here. And it is it is it is great to get to celebrate uh, the Christmas uh, here at church. What an honor to be with you all. On this most sacred of evenings. With that said, my plan this evening is to keep my comments brief. Most all of us have our Christmas Eve traditions, and they involve our family and sometimes our closest friends. With that said, let's jump right into the scriptures this evening. Here from the story of Matthew 2, we see three different responses to the person of Jesus. Those same three responses are played out. In the world today, and I would go as far as to say, even within this room right here, all three of the responses we find in the story could be found in the lives of those present this evening. I will ask you one very important question this evening, and Jesus is God. He is God's Son, and He is part of the Trinity. The question is this, what will you do with King Jesus? He left His throne to be born in a stable. What will you do with Jesus? He uh, left the beauty of heaven to walk on our fallen earth. What will you do with Jesus? He left the worship of the angels to be worshipped by shepherds. What will you do with Jesus? He was despised by the religious and loved by the poor and needy. What will you do with Jesus? Herod tried to kill him as a baby. What will you do with Jesus? The wise men sought him. What will you do with Jesus? The priests ignored him. What will you do with Jesus? The shepherds worshipped him. What will you do with Jesus? The Pharisees hated him. What will you do with Jesus? The disciples learned from him, and the whole world was changed by him. What will you do with King Jesus? From Matthew 2, I'd like for us this evening to look at three principal characters and see what they chose to do with King Jesus. All right? Number one this evening, notice Herod opposed King Jesus. Herod opposed King Jesus. Look look back with me at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 7. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship 
him also. And so you can picture this. These wise men, they march into Jerusalem. They go right up to the palace. They are expecting the Israelites to be thrilled and excited and overwhelmed and overjoyed about the birth of their promised Messiah, the Messiah that had been promised for many, many, many uh, years, many centuries. And they were millennia even and excited to know that he was going to be born among them and that this special star had appeared in the sky. And they had made this long trip in order to see uh, the, the, the baby Jesus, the, the, the Messiah. And they march there, march into uh, the place where the king, king Herod dwelled, into the palace, and Herod had no idea what they were even talking about. And so uh, Herod inquired of the religious leaders that worked around him. And any time he had a question about uh, the Jewish uh, customs and cultures and religion, he would turn to the scribes and the chief priests, and they would give him the answers that he needed. They were his advisors, and they just spouted out, well, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Uh, um, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so they said, well, and so then Herod decides to set up a trap. He says, look, guys, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's been born in Bethlehem. Go and find him. And then when you found him, come get me and bring me to him so I can worship him. Can I tell you, we'll see here in a moment, Herod had no desire to worship King Jesus. No desire to worship King Jesus. This was a trap. This was a trap so he could know the location of the baby so that he could have this king killed because he felt that Jesus was a threat to his life. Look down at verse number 16 of Matthew 2. The Bible says, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, why was he mocked? Because the wise men did not come back and tell him. The wise men found a different way home and avoided Jerusalem altogether. It says there, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, um, many people like Herod, they oppose the Son of God. And it is all, uh, they, and all of that is satanically driven. We look around in the world today and what do we see? We see a lot of opposition toward Jesus. I was uh, uh, in many, many different stores today because like some of you here, I'm a procrastinator and I waited to Christmas Eve to get my Christmas shopping finished up. And uh, there's those last minute purchases. A couple of years ago, I was in a Walmart on a Christmas Eve and someone ran into the back of my heel with their shopping cart and it hurt. Uh, thankfully, that kind of thing didn't happen to me today, but it could have. I mean, it was packed. It was busy. The lines were long. And, uh, but I, as I went from uh, store to store today, buying different things in different places, you know, nobody directly came out and told me Merry Christmas. A whole lot of happy holidays, happy holidays. And I got to thinking about that when I left one store, I was riding alone in my car and I got to thinking about how people have no problem using the name Christ in a way that's vain. But as soon as we want to use it in a way that's celebratory and honorable, all of a sudden it becomes offensive. Why? Why is that? Because there is in our world today a desire to oppose Jesus Christ. There are religions built up in this country and around the globe that are meant to do one thing, undermine who Jesus is and keep you from worshiping him. Herod opposed King Jesus. And I see that many people today oppose 
King Jesus. Herod was obsessed. Watch this now. He was obsessed with promoting himself. And anyone and everyone that got between him and his own glory must be exterminated, must be eliminated. The truth is, if you let Jesus in your life and you worship him, then you're going to have to take a back seat to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to maybe alter some of the way you're living your life if you really are going to make him uh, Lord of your life, if you really are going to put him in charge. And by the way, many people cry that Christians are intolerant toward the rest of the world, while in fact, hypocritically, they are intolerant of Christians and Christianity. The reason is that Jesus wants to be the king of their life. He wants to bring alongside of his rulership, he wants to bring joy and happiness and peace and he wants to give you temperance and long suffering he wants to bring about a spirit of meekness and kindness and grace toward other people he wants to give you the ability to forgive others in your life who on your own you would never be able to forgive and when you go ahead and turn your life over to jesus and let him call the shots boy your life sure gets a whole lot better but we live in a world today that opposes King Jesus, can I tell you that whether you embrace him or oppose him, that doesn't make him any less powerful. And one day, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you can bend the knee today or you can bend the knee someday. But either way, it's one day it's going to be bent. You might as well do it now. Herod opposed King Jesus. Number two, notice the priests ignored King Jesus. The priests ignored King Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 4 with me. The Bible says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, he being Herod, of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. These religious men knew right away where the Messiah was to be born. They knew right away. Herod called them in. And by this passage in Matthew 2, it would seem to indicate that they did not need to run to the archive and dig through the scrolls. It would seem to indicate that right off the top of their head came the answer to the question. Herod asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? And they gave an answer right away. And what they did was they quoted Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Now, if you happen to have a Bible in your lap, while I read Micah chapter 5 verse 2, look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 6. Micah 5 2 says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathath, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth uh, have been from of old, from everlasting. We see the parallels between the two, two verses. The scribes, the chief priests, the religious leaders of Israel were paraphrasing Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Now notice, they saw the star in the sky. They knew the prophecies. Anybody want to guess how far away Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Five miles. Five miles. Now I know they didn't have cars. 
But if you had told me that baby Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, had been born five miles from me, and I had to walk to go see him, I'd be walking right now. But you know what they did? They just shrugged their shoulders. Nah. Okay. The wise men, we'll talk about them in a minute, they saw the star in the sky from afar. And they made a long journey. These men couldn't walk for a couple hours to see baby Jesus. Many, many people in the culture today have a head knowledge of the Bible and who Jesus is. The cross is a symbol that is found all throughout our culture. Uh, when I drive home, I go down uh, Chapel Street up James Farm Road, and to the right, a family that owns a home has put a cross with Christmas lights on the side of their home. It's beautiful. Crosses are everywhere. Women wear it with their jewelry. Some men do as well. Uh, it is uh, used as, ho- as home decor uh, in many, many places. It's prominent. You can't live in the United States of America for the most part and not at least be familiar with what a cross is. And at some point, be curious enough to ask what that means. And many, many people know about the cross. They know the name of Jesus. They have uh, at least some head knowledge of who he is. But can I tell you that nobody, nobody gets into heaven one day off of a head knowledge of who Jesus is. Boy, I see a lot of people in the world today, I, I talk to them. And they know the facts about Jesus, but they've never put their faith in Jesus. Never put their faith in Jesus. The truth is, they're no different than these chief priests and these scribes. They know about him, but they've not taken time to pursue him. And so by default, they have ignored him. They have ignored him. You know, uh, for these chief priests, it was a five-mile walk. But for someone who has access to the Internet, it's about a five-second search. The gospel message is readily available to anyone who is looking for it. You may be here tonight and say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what is the gospel message? We'll get to that in a minute. But let me just ask you a question this evening. Are you so busy pursuing everything else in your life that you've not taken the time to consider the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you so busy building your kingdom that you've not taken the time to pursue or think about His kingdom? Are you so busy uh, uh, saving up money and getting married and living and and let live and all of the things that go on with the hustle and bustle of the American dream and a college education and building a career and saving for retirement and enjoying a retirement or wherever you are in the process of, of the average person's life, have you taken just a moment to stop and think, Jesus Christ left heaven. He came to earth uh, to be born amongst us. He lived His life. The entire uh, calendar is based around the life of this man when the calendar changes to 2021 in just a few days what are we marking we're marking the birth of our savior the lord jesus christ and when his life began you see his life was so instrumental to this world that our very calendar is set around him but yet many people are too busy with their own life to pay him any mind and truth be told many folks will live an entire life and ignore the message of what Christmas is all about. I remember as a little boy, I would get 
into the car with my family and we would drive to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where we would go see my father's mother. My parents are here tonight. We'd go see my grandmother. And I remember one Christmas we got out of the car and uh, no one was home, but my dad had a key to get in. And we walked up to the door there and there was something on the front door that indicated Merry Christmas, that said something about Merry Christmas. And up to this point in my grandmother's life, she had not uh, yet acknowledged Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know that she ever did do that, uh, sadly. But I remember saying to my dad, I was no more than 10, 11 years old, maybe even younger than that. I remember saying to my dad, why does she have that on her door if she doesn't believe that he died for her sins? And my dad uh, said back to me, that's a very good question, Richard. I'm not sure how to answer that. Many, many of you here this evening may be in that very camp where you culturally celebrate Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with talk about Santa Claus and uh, all of the songs that are on the radio this time of the year. There's nothing wrong with decorating a Christmas tree and exchanging gifts. But please, please, please take a few minutes this evening and think this through. Have you personally acknowledged the life of Jesus and his life and death on the cross? Boy, don't let the real meaning of Christmas pass you by yet another year we see that Herod opposed King Jesus. We see that the priests, they were religious and they ignored King Jesus. Number three, notice the wise men pursued King Jesus. The wise men pursued King Jesus. Below that, notice their understanding of prophecy. Their understanding of prophecy. Now, uh, I'll be brief here, but let me just say that without going into too much Bible prophecy this evening, uh, let's just say these wise men were probably from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And many have speculated that these magi would have lived in the same area where Daniel, the prophet Daniel, had written his prophecy about the 70 weeks. Now, without breaking down the 70 weeks prophecy, that's way too deep for a service like this. I'll just uh, sum it up like this. The word week means a group of seven, a group of seven. Now, we think of it as seven days, but a week could be any group of 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 seven of any quantity of time. And so this prophecy of the 70 weeks was a uh, was 70 groupings of seven years or 490 years. And the prophecy given to Daniel uh, by the uh, angel Gabriel uh, gave down to the very year that the Messiah would be cut off or would be crucified. In fact, um, if you go and look at when uh, the Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would die, and you look at the calendar of when the Messiah died to the very year, It was prophesied when the Messiah would die. So these wise men must have known the prophecy, must have studied the scrolls of the prophecy of Daniel and knew that the birth of this God child, this God born on earth, this manifestation of God amongst us, they knew his birth was imminent, their understanding of prophecy. They pursued King Jesus. They had studied up. They had read. They were curious. They knew that Jesus was a big deal. They didn't know his name, but they knew that the coming Messiah or the Christ was a big deal. They knew that he would die for the sins of the world. They had taken the time to study the prophecy. Letter B, we see here their unique journey, their unique journey. First, we don't know how many of them there were. Uh, How many of you have a nativity scene set up somewhere in your home? Hold your hand up for me. 
And, you know, most nativity scenes have three wise men. And I've heard, you know, we, we, you maybe you've heard the Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. And uh, the song goes on and talks about the three wise men and the gifts they bring. We don't know exactly how many wise men there were scripturally, but we know that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's an interesting study by itself. But, but we do know that they took a long, long trip. By the way, the wise men were not present at the nativity. The wise men came along after Jesus had been born. And you say, well, why were Mary and Joseph stuck in Jerusalem? And we don't know for sure, or rather stuck in uh, uh, Bethlehem. We don't know for sure, but some have speculated that they ran out of money. They used all their money to get to Bethlehem, and they didn't have any money to get back home to Nazareth. And their gifts would enable them to uh, be able to take care of baby Jesus. Uh, but let's focus in on the wise men and their unique journey. Now, uh, we don't know that they were from Persia or modern-day Iran, but just suppose with me for a minute, indulge me if you would, that they were. Now, I went and looked on Google Maps walking directions to see how long it would take if you left the center of Iran and walked to Bethlehem with the current road system in place. And according to Google Maps, walking directions, it would take 440 hours to walk from the middle of Iran to Bethlehem. And that would be 18 days. Now, that's not counting taking breaks and sleeping and getting something to eat and, you know, everything else that you would encounter on the way. So without the use of a modern road system, which they didn't have, it would have taken them many, many months, maybe well over a year, to travel to get to where baby Jesus was. Now, I want to, want to make a point here about the wise men pursuing Jesus. This trip cost them something. It cost them something. Do you understand that it's expensive to travel that far that long? Their camels had to be watered. They had to eat. No doubt they sought lodging along the way. Can you imagine what a hotel bill would be if you were on the road for a month straight, much less a year straight? They cost them something. On top of the cost of the trip, the wear and tear, not on a car, but on their camels. Uh, the work, now notice this, it didn't just cost them the money to take the trip, it also cost them the money they didn't make while they weren't working in their absence. The old adage is that if you're not making money, you're probably out spending money. How many of you have either a husband or wife who stays home while you go to work and you're making the money and they're out spending the money, all right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, how many of you have a day off and you're out spending money? Uh, some of you can hop on Amazon at work and be spending money while you're making money, right? Uh, it, it's just too convenient anymore. But they weren't making money, but they were out spending money. This trip cost them something. This trip cost them something. And we see that the journey was unique. We see that they had an understanding of prophecy. But notice, lastly here, about the wise men pursuing King Jesus. Notice their unparalleled generosity. Look down with me at Matthew chapter 2 and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly, exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and 
worshipped him, and when they had opened their gifts, they presented unto him gifts, gold, I'm sorry, they, they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, Joseph had paid taxes and was probably wondering how he was going to be able to get home financially, and you know what? God provided. Let me speak to you for a moment as someone who has been a Christian now for 32 years. 32 years. God always provides for his own. Always provides for his own. Some people are scared to death to become a Christian. Because what does that involve? And what sacrifices will I have to make? Uh, The Bible tells us that I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Never, never, never. Uh, God always provides for his own. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, uh, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You give to the Lord, you give to the Lord, and he will always provide for you. Imagine these men of wealth and renown getting down on their knees and worshiping a baby. Getting down on their knees and worshiping a baby. They knew this child was the Messiah prophesied about in Daniel. They chose to make Jesus their king. They chose to make Jesus their king. Now watch this. They themselves were magi, men of power, men of wealth, men of prestige. But they humbled themselves And got down on their knees and they worshipped the baby Jesus as though he was their king. They made Jesus their king. Why would someone worship a baby? What was the significance of God being born in the form of a man on earth? Now I want you, if you would, with your mind's eye, to picture the manger where baby Jesus was laid in that drafty barn on that cold night with the animals chewing their hay, their cud, right next to him and mooing and, and the sheep uh, buying or whatever sound they make. And put yourself there that night. I'm sure it was not a desirable uh, situation for Mary. Uh, many of you women who've given birth know just how hard it is to give birth in in a hospital room, much less in a barn. There Jesus lays in that manger. I want you to imagine that that manger is an arrow pointing to a different wood structure, pointing to a cross. I, I would ask you this question this evening. Why would God... Leave the luxury of heaven to be born to peasants in a drafty barn and laid in a feeding trough for animals. Why would he do that? Why would God put himself in that situation? Can I tell you why? He did it for you. He did it for me. You see, Jesus' life, Jesus' birth is an arrow pointing to his death. 
Now, I want to ask you this question. I'm almost done. Hang with me. Why would Jesus die on the cross? Especially if you could behave yourself to make it into heaven on your own. You see, Jesus died because you and I can't behave ourselves well enough to get to heaven on our own. Let me share with you just a few more verses this evening. And for someone here who wants to make the leap from either opposing King Jesus or ignoring King Jesus to pursuing King Jesus, I'd like to help you to be able to make the, take the first step in that process this evening. You see, the Bible tells us that none of us are able to make it into heaven because none of us really are all that great. In fact, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. That means everyone. In fact, I've never met anyone who doesn't fit in this category. We all like to think of ourselves as being good people, and we all like to uh, 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 ignore the bad of our life and focus on the good of our life. And we see the flaws in others, and we see the strengths within ourselves. That's human nature to do that very thing. But if we can just all hit the, uh, the pause button, take a time out, and look at it with an objective, realistic uh, view here, all of us are immoral, all of us are despot, all of us are wicked, all of us are sinful, all of us have broken the moral laws found in the Bible over and over and over again. Notice the second half of that verse says that we have come short of the glory of God. What is God's glory? We know that Jesus is the glory of God. And one day, God's glory, Jesus, will light up the new heaven and earth and it will be so bright that there will be no shadows and no night. You see, Jesus is the perfect standard and all of us come way, way short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 words it this way, as it is written, there is none righteous no, not one. I, I think I'm a good person and I'm going to get into heaven because I'm a good person. The Bible says that the standard of righteousness is not your neighbor. It's not your co-worker. It's not your husband or your wife. It's not some criminal in prison. No, the standard of righteousness is God in heaven and he is perfect. He's never committed one immoral deed. And you and I fall way, way short of that. There is none righteous. No, not one. You see, we have a problem and the problem is sin. And that sin separates us from God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God. Notice that. We'll get back to that in a moment. But I want you to pay attention to that. We give, a lot, give away a lot of gifts this time of year. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now watch this. The wages of sin is death. We all know what wages are. Many of you in here tonight are gainfully employed or connected to someone who is gainfully employed, and they earn wages, do they not? Those wages are key. They're important to pay our way through life. Now watch this. There is a payment that awaits you for your sin, awaits, awaits me for my sin. The Bible says the payment or wages of sin, breaking God's moral law, is death. That word death means to be separated. And we know what earthly death is because we all have attended a funeral. But that word there, death, goes far beyond the earthly and continues on into the eternal. The wages of sin is an eternal separation from Almighty God where you and I deserve to be punished by God for our sin. The wages of sin is death. 
boy, the truth is, if, I wanted, if I'm being honest with you this evening, I deserve to be punished in hellfire because of my sin. And so do you. You say, but pastor, I'm a good person. God's, a just judge does not look at the good someone does. They look at the crimes they've committed. One day we're going to give an account to God and that's what's going to happen. Romans 5, 8, though, offers us the solution. But God, I love that word, but that's a contrasting conjunction. But God commendeth, he proved, he demonstrated, he showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners in our sinful state, what did Christ do? He died for us. He died for us. You see, the wages of sin is death. But what did Jesus do? He came to earth to die for us. In essence, he stood in our place and he suffered for us so that he could purchase for us the gift of eternal life. Go back to Romans 6.23 for me. It says, therefore, the wages of sin is death. Back up one verse for me there, if you don't mind. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have gifts put in front of me that loved ones of mine purchased. And no doubt many of you here will as well. And there's gifts that I purchase. You know, for a gift to be a gift, it must be received and not paid for. But the truth is it must be received. Now, the gift of eternal life was purchased by Jesus on the cross. And it is freely offered to you. But you don't have to receive it. You can oppose the gift. You can ignore the gift. Or you can pursue the gift. You say, well, pastor, how do I get this gift? Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, rescued in thy house. All you need to do is put your simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you and express that faith through prayer. Romans 10.13 words it this way, For whosoever, that's anyone, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is so awesome that he purchased a gift with his death, on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and he freely offers it to you, and all he wants you to do is open your heart this Christmas season and receive that gift. Boy, when I was just a small child, I sat on the front pew of a church next to my father, down about the same place my dad is sitting right now, and he led me through a simple prayer, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I prayed something like this. I said, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve to be punished for my sin. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that you purchased with your life on the cross. I receive that gift. I believe in you. Take me to heaven when I die. You know, that day, that moment, I was adopted into the family of God. I received that gift of eternal life. And the truth is, one day when you get to heaven, you, rather one day when you die, God is going to want to know, did you oppose Jesus? Did you ignore him? Was there that point in your life where you stopped everything and you bowed the knee? If not physically, at least, at least in your heart you bowed the knee and you accepted Jesus in that gift. Hey, tomorrow you're probably going to get material gifts. 
right here, right now where you're seated, why don't you open your heart and receive an immaterial gift that's eternal? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed this evening. To those of you here today that are already saved, you've already made that decision, I would just challenge you, how well have you been pursuing King Jesus as of late? Are you walking with him? Are you spending time with him? Are you serving him? Have you totally given your life to him or have you taken a break from that? To those of you here this evening that have never accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, will you do that right now? Will you pray that prayer that I prayed as a small child? Right where you are, under your breath, will you just pray this prayer if you've never received that gift of eternal life? Just say this prayer under your breath. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve to be punished for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for purchasing the gift of eternal life. I open my heart and I accept that gift. Save my soul. Thank you for raising from the dead and for being alive forevermore. In Jesus' name.